Chapter 7 of Citadel of the Star Lords. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Citadel of the Star Lords by Edmund Hamilton. Chapter 7 Price stood stone still, meeting her gaze. But his thoughts were racing like startled deer. How could even the super-scientific Verna have guessed his incredible origin? It was a freak, a fluke that wouldn't happen once in a million years. Lina was saying, Take your plane. Obsolete in model as it was, it would require extensive machine shops to fabricate it. And your clothing. Your shirt is of synthetic fabric, and so is the dye. It was woven on machines. And these are new not relics preserved for a century." Price managed to keep his voice level as he said, "'So—' "'So,' Lina said, "'there is somewhere a hidden community big enough to keep the old technologies of your people alive. A community we've known nothing about.' She regarded him in stern triumph, as though she had gained a victory. Price sat down on the narrow bed. He had an hysterical desire to laugh, but he did not do that. Instead, he turned his head away from Lina as though to hide his dismay, but actually he was trembling with a sudden realization. She had just given him his chance, if he kept his head and played it right. In her wholly mistaken, if quite natural, deduction of his origin, she had given him a chance for escape. She misread his silence. Further lies will not do you any good. Astonishingly, there was pity in her voice. I see now what you intended. You wish to share your community's knowledge with other tribes, to give them new weapons in their fight against us, and now you hope to still keep your secret, so someone else may succeed where you failed. Believe me, Price, I understand. Do you? he said savagely. Yes, she said, her voice hardening and I understand better than you what would have happened to your army if they had attacked, armed with pitiful little planes like yours, and only slightly more powerful rifles." She spoke swiftly to the guard outside and then snapped at Price. "'Come, I want to show you something.' She led Price out between the green-clad guards. They went down the echoing corridor of the cell-block and into a lift that took them swooping up a long way and then into another corridor and eventually into a medium-sized room circular in shape, completely surrounded by a double row of screens. The lower screens gave a fixed view of the terrain within eyeshot of the citadel itself. The upper screens reflected a roving, ever-shifting view of the remoter belt, the woods and prairies, herds of wild cattle grazing, deer bounding with their white flags up, the lonely starships waiting on their isolated fields. Four men in uniforms of dull gold watched the screens and checked a series of clicking recorders. Beneath each screen was a battery of studs. "'You see how much chance you would have of approaching unseen? And do you see what would happen to an army? One man here, touching those firing studs, and the whole belt would become in seconds like the barren outside the walls. Nothing would be left. Nothing.' In Lina's eyes now there was the same impatient contempt for his stupidity that he had seen there before, when Aaron had talked to Sawyer in the square. And this is how you would help them, to their destruction. 
If the situation had been what she imagined it to be, that would have been the truth. Price allowed a sullen doubtfulness to show in his face. But he said, "'What about your starships? You wouldn't destroy them?' "'They can be flown on autopilot at a moment's notice, out of harm's way. Oh, for heaven's sake, Price, can't you see that I'm trying to help you? I don't want your people slaughtered. We, the Verna, don't want them slaughtered. But if you persist in battering your stubborn heads—' "'All right, all right,' he said crossly. "'You've got the weight and weapons. Let's get out of here. It makes me sick to think how helpless we are.' They went outside into the corridor again. At its end there was a window, and Price stood by it, looking out. He pretended to be sunk in bitter reflection, but his brain was spinning furiously, trying to see all ways at once. He said, "'If I show you where our hidden colony is, you'll only smash it up. There's a lot there that isn't weapons, things that could help build up a civilization again. Why would I show you?' "'To keep some other idiot from trying to do what you have done? We won't destroy anything that's useful, only control it as to the production of weapons.' She sighed and added, "'I hate to put it this way, Price, but if you don't show me willingly it will have to be another way, and I don't want that.' There was a real ring of sincerity in her voice. Price grumbled around a bit, permitting himself to be beaten. "'All right,' he said at last. "'I guess there's nothing for it. I'll show you.' "'Good. I'll arrange for a flyer.' Her voice was drowned out by a sudden hooting of sirens all through the citadel. For a moment no one moved. Lina's face became drained of all color. The guards stiffened, staring in a kind of wonder. The steel shutter of the window clanged to with a ringing snap, and Price could feel in that vast building a stirring and buzzing as of a menaced hive. "'What is it?' he asked, his feeling of triumph beginning to slip away almost before he had had time to enjoy it. Lina's voice was quite steady when she answered. "'Possibly nothing. You must return to your cell now. We'll discuss the trip later.' The siren stopped. The guards hustled Price along urgently now, as though they had more important things to attend to. The Verna were shifting rapidly from places to other places, but all in good order. Only their faces were tense, and they did not talk except to pass an order or ask for one. It was obvious that there was an alarm, that the Citadel was taking up battle stations, and that everyone was, if not afraid, at least severely uneasy. Price began to be uneasy, too. Nevertheless, he noted the symbol that identified the door, and studied the life-controls as he was dropped down to the prison level again. In perfect silence they stepped from the lift and started down the corridor toward Price's cell. Then the siren screeched again but on a different note. Lina gave a little sigh. Without thinking about it, he put his arm around her. All clear? Yes. What a relief. I'm technically a soldier, but I'm afraid a technicality is all it is. I—shh! Listen. A clear metallic voice had begun to speak over some communicator system that apparently reached every corner of the Citadel. Lina drew away from him without seeming to notice his familiarity, listening intently. The guards listened too, and so did three or four other Verna visible in the corridor. 
Price could understand nothing except that the word A occurred several times. The Verna's favorite bogeyman. He wondered if the Verna powers that were used it to hoodwink their own people, too. It would explain Linna's sincerity, Aaron's honest annoyance, if they themselves believed in a menace called the A. The window at the end of the corridor had reappeared as the safety shutter slid back. Through it, tantalizingly small and far away, Price watched the landing of a starship, and it was disappointingly remote and unreal as a scene done with models for an old film. Until he felt the mighty fabric of the Citadel, man-made mountain of steel and iron, quiver underneath him with the shock-wave of that landing. Then he knew. The voice stopped speaking. There was a moment of dead quiet, as though what the voice had said was more momentous than the alarm. Lina's face was pale again, and the guards looked both excited and apprehensive. One of them spoke to Lina, and she shook her head, apparently giving him a reassuring answer. Price said irritably, "'Can you tell me what's going on?' "'There was a skirmish,' she said, "'out there. That's what the alarm was, to tell us there was fighting going on, but of course it was already over. There was only one A-ship, a scout.' Oh, said Price, and almost smiled. Scramble them once in a while, keep them on their toes, remind them of the menace. It was a simple technique. Earthmen had evolved it quite early. People were talking now. He could hear their voices echoing down the metal halls, excited, fearful. Several went to the window to crane their necks at the distant starship. And then the metallic voice began to speak again, very crisp and clipped. Maximum security, Lena said. All corridors cleared, all doors and safety bulkheads locked, all off-duty personnel in quarters. Go in, Price. She pointed to his cell door. I have to hurry. The corridor was clearing like magic. Price hung obstinately in the doorway. What now? They captured the scout. They're bringing in two of the A. Alive. One of the guards shoved him in, and the door slammed shut on its magnetic lock. Price laid down on the bunk. So, they had captured a scout, and they were bringing in 2A alive. And everybody in the Citadel was ordered behind locked doors. Handy. Very. He was beginning to feel less hostility toward at least some of the Verna. They were not so hard-headed and skeptical as the Earthmen. They believed, and the belief was keeping them here to man an outpost fort when they would doubtless much rather return home. He found himself unaccountably pleased that he had an excuse to stop hating Lina. He thought about the plan he had in mind until he went to sleep. It was difficult, in that windowless and practically soundproof place, to judge the passage of time. To Price it seemed like centuries. He slept and woke and ate and paced around, and fretted between hope and a despairing certainty that Lina had forgotten all about him. He slept again, and was awakened from that sleep by the deep shuddering of the Citadel as a starship either landed or took off. He lay drowsily wondering what it was like to fly one of those mighty craft, traitorously wishing he was Averna so he might have a chance to find out, and dreaming of space and stars and foreign worlds. The Citadel shook again, and yet again, and Price came wide awake.
he counted twenty-one, and there was no way of knowing how many landings or take-offs had occurred before he woke, or too far out in the belt to be noticed here. Certainly some large movement was under way. He took to pacing again, in a sweat of worry over what this meant, not to the Verna, but to him. After what seemed an eternity the door opened, and Lina stood there, looking pale and grave. There were no guards with her. She was alone. "'The flyer is waiting, Price,' she said. "'Let's go.' He joined her, and now he saw that the aspect of the corridor had changed. A sliding bulkhead had closed off part of it behind a wall of iron. "'What's that for?' he asked. "'Our prisoners,' said Lina as though the words stuck to her tongue. Come on. She seemed in a great hurry to get away from that bulkhead. Price said, What's the matter? Aren't they human or something? She gave him a look. You still think it's all a great joke? I didn't say that. You mean it, though. You still believe the A are something we made up to shift the blame from ourselves. Probably you believe we are staging this whole matter to impress you and your chief so that you will go back and assure your tribesmen it is all true." This was so uncomfortably close to what Price was thinking that he said involuntarily, "'You're entirely too smart for such a pretty girl.' "'Sometimes I think,' she said between her teeth, "'that there is no hope for you people, no hope at all.' Price nodded toward the bulkhead. "'The solution is simple enough, isn't it? Let me see them.' Then I'll have to believe you." "'Simple enough,' said Lina, echoing his words. "'Do you think you could stand against them? We have fought them for generations. We have knowledge and experience, and even for us, with all our safeguards, it is difficult. Only a few, like Aaron, would attempt it, and I saw him this morning. He looks like a ghost.' "'And that's why you've never let any Earthmen see an A because they're too dangerous." No, it's more simple than that. We have had none to show. These are the first A we have captured for a century, at least in this sector of the galaxy. I have never seen one either, and I don't want to." She strode off away from the iron wall across the corridor. Price shrugged and followed her. "'Where are my friends?' "'They're here,' she said, indicating the row of doors they were passing quite safe, or as safe as any of us. They'll remain here until—' She hesitated, and Price realized for the first time that she was deeply, genuinely afraid. "'Until we see what happens,' she finished. "'After that, what?' "'If they're still alive, and we're still alive, and there's still a world, they'll go free, and perhaps they'll be wiser men than they are now.' she would not say any more. The lift swept them up to the roof. It was late afternoon, intensely hot, with storm clouds banking in the west. The roof area seemed almost deserted, and only one flyer was visible. Lina motioned him into it and climbed in herself. She spoke to the pilot, and he took off immediately. There was no co-pilot, only Price and Lina and one man. Price felt a secret surge of assurance, of power, like when you're riding a streak of luck and the dice can't fall any way but right. He sat quietly, looking out the cabin port. 
he saw almost at once that the starships were gone. The whole Verna fleet must have taken off, shaking the citadel with their leaving. Probably most of the men had gone with it. The deserted appearance of the citadel, the lack of guards, the lack of a co-pilot, all pointed to a skeleton force. "'If we're still alive and there's still a world,' Lina has said. "'Battle, somewhere out in the far reaches of space? Perhaps. Or maneuvers, or a show of force connected with some galactic game he would probably never know about. It was not really important. What was important was the fact that, for the present, the defenses of the Citadel were weaker, much weaker.' He sat looking out the port and covertly watching the pilot's hands on the controls. Lina had some kind of a sidearm strapped around her slender waist. Probably a shocker. The pilot had one, too. He considered the problem, and the woods and prairies rolled back underneath. Lina spoke suddenly, out of a long and somber silence. "'This mission is more important than ever now, Price or I wouldn't have been allowed to divert even one man from our defenses. I beg you, for the sake of your own people, to play fair with me. If there's either help or hindrance in our rear, we must know it. The A—" Now, said something in Price's mind. He did not stop to question it. When you're riding a hot streak, let it ride. Never stop to question. He rose and hit Lina on the point of her pretty chin. End of chapter 7